You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the uh, Nailed It Ortho podcast. You are tuned in to our Citation Classics, back to our sports team. This is our third one, I believe, fellas. Right, this is our third one, and um, and we're going to talk some Achilles tendon ruptures. I'm I'm looking forward to it, and uh, everybody else. Hope we're all. Hopefully, we can have some good discussions and learn some things about um, you know Achilles tendon ruptures. And um, I can go ahead and start us off here with our with our first paper. We're talking about operative versus non-operative treatment of acute Achilles tendon ruptures. This is a multi-centered randomized trial using accelerated functional rehabilitation. And this is a study done out of Canada, published in JBJS in 2010. So, you know, a little bit about this, we're talking about acute Achilles tendon ruptures. And at the time, you know, kind of the treatment of acute Achilles tendon ruptures was controversial. Uh, and there are many different studies with different results versus, you know, talking about early operative fixation versus non-operative treatment. And so the purpose of this study was to compare Achilles tendon ruptures that's going to be treated with operative repair with an accelerated functional rehab program versus just the accelerated functional rehab program alone. So we're looking at pretty much operative versus non-operative, but a key thing in both of these, they have an accelerated functional rehab program. And how they did this, this is, again, this was a randomized control trial. This was conducted at two Canadian centers with a minimum of two years follow-up. And again, randomized control trial, and they randomized using uh, computer generation. And some of the criteria that they included, or the patients that they included were these, or any patient that had an, a complete primary Achilles tendon rupture that was actually just demonstrated by physical exam alone. So a positive Thompson squeeze test where you have the patients prone, you have their knee flex and you squeeze their calf and you look for plantar flexion of the foot, as well as the presence of a palpable gap. And another thing to note is they all had to present within 14 days of injury. Uh, the patients were between 18 and 70 years old. They had to be willing and able to do the actual prescribed rehabilitation protocol, of course, informed consent. And they excluded patients that had any other additional ipsilateral injuries, any open injuries, any tendon ruptures that were associated with fluoroquinolone loose, uh, patients that were insulin-dependent diabetics, um, Achilles avulsions from the calcaneus, uh, and, and also uh, patients that have neurological or vascular disease requiring medications that were recognized to impair tendon healing, like NSAIDs and things of that sort. So what they did or how they actually how they did this study are the patients that had the operative treatment they had you know kind of standard uh standard repair so they did a posterior medial incision uh, instead of a posterior lab but a posterior medial incision they uh, identified the tendon edges they used number two non-absorbable sutures across the tear in a crack out stitch pattern and then ended up repairing the peritoneum afterwards with non-absorbable sutures and they splinted them in 20 degrees of plantar flexion so those are the patients that had the operative treatment and the accelerated functional rehabilitation program, they place these patients into a removable below knee arthrosis, which is Aircast, who actually funded the study. If you look, uh, if you look at the uh, paper, it actually has them as one of the uh, uh, ones that funded this study. But anyways, they use this removable below knee arthrosis with a two centimeter heel lift. And what they measure, kind of different outcomes that they looked at, they wanted to look at the re-rupture rates, the strength. Uh, in that lower extremity, the range of motion, the circumference of the calf, as well as the 
Lehapati score, which I probably uh, mispronounced that, but those are some of the things that they looked at. And I just wanted just to include kind of what the accelerated rehabilitation protocol was. It took me a while to actually find this. I had to go to the side and do a couple of clicks here and there, but I actually finally found the accelerated rehab protocol. For those that are listening in on the podcast, um, I'll go ahead and just kind of quickly explain what the pre- what the protocol was. So from zero to two weeks, they're replacing a posterior slash splint where it's main non-weight bearing to that side. From two to four weeks, they transitioned them to the aircast walking boot with a heel lift. They had them um, in protected weight bearing with crutches. They were allowed to actively plantar flex and just dorsiflex to neutral. Uh, they just did modalities to locate to control swelling. And it is some hip and knee exercises. From four to six weeks, they progress from partial weight bearing or protected weight bearing to weight bearing as tolerated. And they also continue some of the things from weeks two to four. And then from six to eight weeks, they actually removed the heel lift and started actually stretching. So dorsiflexing, uh, stretching, they started increasing the exercise, increasing the mobilization. Uh, from eight to 12 weeks, they kind of weaned them out of a boot. And greater than 12 weeks, they just continued with uh, range of motes and strength and proper reception, you know, main thing just to kind of get uh, sports specific retraining as well. And so I just want to include that just so we all know when we talk about accelerated rehabilitation protocol, what it is and what they did in the study. So their results, what they had ended up having 72 patients in the operative group, 72 patients in the non-operative group. The majority were males in both of them, 59 um, 59 males, 13 females in both groups. Mean age was right around 40, so 39 for the operative group or 39.7 for the operative group and 41.1 for the non-op. And they also had different heights and weights. And what they noticed, they looked at a number of re-ruptures in an operative group, there was two, and in a non-operative group, it was three. And both of these actually occurred within three months. Uh, at a year out, they noticed that the patients had uh, an increased plantar flexion strength in the operative group. Uh, dorsiflexion strength was the same, but they did note a significant or a statistically significant uh, increase in plantar flexion strength. But they found no differences in range of motion or the cast circumference. And at two years, they noted that these patients had still had increased plantar flexion strength was noted in the operative group. But one other thing that they noted, if you look at the complications, that there are more complications in the operative group versus the non-operative group. There are 18% complications in the operative group versus 8% in the non-operative group. So some of the complications in the operative group, patients had superficial infections, about four of those patients had that. There's some uh, wound complications, two patients had that, a patient had a PE or pulmonary embolism, one patient had a deep in, uh, a deep infection, and this is on the operative group as well as some re-ruptures in the DVT. In a non-operative group, there were three re-ruptures, one DVT, um, patient that just had continued substantial pain, and uh, uh, a patient that was unable to heal, so they had a palpable gap still. So kind of in summary from this study and what they noted or concluded that there was no clinically important difference between operative versus non-operative treatment. And again, both groups participated in this accelerated functional rehabilitation protocol. Uh, They did note that the patients in the operative group had an increase in plantar flexion, but the differences in plantar flexion strength were small. And they noted no significant difference in re-rupture rates. 
And when you're kind of looking at some of the limitations for the study, it did have a small sample size. And one of the other things which, you know, I thought this study was good for is one of those, you know, a, a randomized control trial that's showing us operative versus non-operative treatment. And there weren't really that many, uh, many differences, you know, one or two years out. But another thing to note is that um, these are patients that all had an accelerated rehabilitation protocol and were able to. These are all patients that were uh, found within two weeks of their injury. So those are all things to note. And, and the, you know, this is, this is a Canadian population. I think the average weight of the patient in kilograms when you transport it to pounds, the average weight of the patient was less than 200 pounds. And I live in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana right now, and we have patients that are much heavier than that. Um, so you also need to know kind of just some of the differences in the patient population, uh, as well as some of the things that are included in this study. So if you, I think this is good for if you are counseling patients, and again, they're within that criteria, and this is an acute tear, you see them within a couple of weeks, and they have access to a therapy program that can get them started pretty quickly. This is something that you may uh, uh, that you may kind of counsel them about of operative versus non-operative, give them the um, give them the pros and cons, and have them make a decision from there. And I don't know if anybody else. Uh, this is one that I remember we talked about, and I think at Journal Club, maybe when I was like an intern or so. So it's been a couple of years since I since I've read this article, but uh, interested to see if any of y'all uh, Tucker Ehab, if you have talked about this at your program or. Um, you know, if, if this has come up at all during Achilles tendon talks. Yeah, I mean, for me, at least, I, I know we've talked about this paper and definitely just discussed the accelerated rehabilitation protocol. I mean, this is interesting. This is like one of those topics where, you know, you really have to choose your indications carefully. Um, and, you know, there are studies that are emerging that are saying that you can go either way with this. And it really just does depend on patient factors. Um, I think it, obviously it's a good article to discuss just because of the high level of evidence, but I do think that it, this is the first time I think that, and you brought it up Wendell, but I mean, we, you do have to pay attention <clears throat> when you're reading these articles to see if there are any sorts of potential conflicts of interest. Um, and not saying that this one has like any glaring conflicts of interest, but there is a, like the brace that is used and that is you know, the company is helping to fund this study, right? You have to put it in context. And I think that, um, as you'll see for sure, Wendell, and as I'm, you know, as I've done a little bit more sports research, have started to see like industry and just like funding kind of like moves research a lot of times. And I think that it's just something to pay attention to. And it's something to just note when you're looking at an article, um, because it helps to put it into context the same way you would look at who the authors are or like where the, what institution the study took place in. And like you said, like the patient population, even, I mean, that it just becomes a part of the, um, of the interpretation of the results. So uh, definitely a good point to bring up. And I think it's nice that, um, that it, that this is done. It's, it's a good study, but it's something to also note. Yeah, completely agree. You know, those are all again, valid points. Definitely want to look at, uh, who funded the study, if there are any sources of funding, and then, you know, what exactly is their inclusion criteria? But yeah, great point that you just made. Yeah, and I think just going off of that with like, you know, in this paper in particular with with the air cast and kind of its involvement in the rehabilitation protocol, I think we'll see kind of throughout these papers, there's, you know, a lot of variety in these um, rehab protocols for these acute Achilles tears. And it's, 
be interesting to see, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound like one's better than the other. I think they're, they're all very similar and they all have their own unique differences, but is one, you know, protocol better than the other? Is there one that can get them moving earlier or cleared for previous, you know, athletic activity? So that's all I had to say about that. So, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Awesome. So, um, again, this is another randomized control trial. This one's looking at, uh, non-operative dynamic treatment for the acute Achilles tendon rupture, specifically looking at early weight bearing on clinical outcomes. Um, this is a 2014 study that was done in JBJS. So background, um, kind of what we were just talking about, non-operative treatment, um, for acute Achilles tendon ruptures is a well accepted modality. Um, dynamic rehabilitation, uh, in combination with this non-op treatment produces functional outcomes, uh, and also reiterates their equivalent to surgical treatment. Um, the role of weight bearing hasn't really been explored up in, I mean, before, you know, the study was, uh, conducted. So the objective was to compare immediate weight bearing with non-weight bearing for non-operative management of Achilles tendon ruptures. Um, and, uh, the hypothesis made by the authors was that immediate weight bearing leads to better patient reported and, uh, functional outcomes. So this was a blinded randomized control trial, um, done over, uh, between April, 2011 and March of 2012, um, both groups. Uh, so there are two groups, both of them were treated non-operatively with an orthotic. And then they went through a similar protocol of gradually removing heel wedges and controlled early motion over an eight week period. And in the, uh, control group, they had non-weight bearing for a six week period. And then the treatment group, they had uh, immediate full weight bearing. And ultimately they ended up having, um, in the intervention group, 29 individuals, and then, uh, 27 groups, in, uh, sorry, individuals in the control group. So in terms of the primary endpoint, so this is uh, an Achilles tendon rupture score at the one year mark. So a patient reported outcome, secondary endpoints, they looked at heel rise height and heel rise work. So heel rise is essentially just a measure of plantar flexion. The work is measuring calf muscle endurance. So really looking at that Achilles tendon complex. So the soleus and the gastroc, um, and then heel rise height, essentially how high they can get up, get their heels up off the ground. And then looking at re-rupture rates, um, how much time they had to take off. And then during this treatment period, what their quality of life was, um, they did do a, uh, a priori, uh, power analysis. So they needed 22 individuals per group, which as we saw, they had, and then those are the kind of standard, uh, statistical analyses that they used. So jumping straight into the results. So looking first at the, uh, ATRS, so their PRO and then the heel rise, essentially looking between the weight bearing group and the control group, but there weren't really any differences. So there were equivalent outcomes at both a six week and a 12 week period. And then, um, for re-rupture. So they looked at again, quality of life and re-ruptures and sick leave. And then they also did return to activity levels. Um, and the, really the only thing that they found was that in terms of the quality of life, the weight bearing group, um, had a higher quality of life score than the control group. Uh, besides that, all of the other measures were equivalent. So overall, um, there weren't really any significant differences in the ATRS score or the heel rise work between the groups. There were also no differences in re-rupture rate, uh, time to return to work and time to return to sports. 
there was an increased quality of life with early weight bearing, which kind of makes sense. I mean, as the sooner you can get to getting back to your regular life, uh, you would also assume that you have an increased quality of life there. Um, and then some limitations of the study. So no control for uh, compliance. Um, their quality of life measure they said was uh, unknown validity and reliability. Um, and uh, overall, the takeaway was that immediate weight bearing is a safe modality for Achilles tendon rupture. Um, again, I, I think that these are important studies, these high level evidence, like you, you see a lot of these actually in the um, Achilles tendon uh, comparison studies. So it's nice to see another one here in this 2014 study, also looking at just an important factor, which is with non-operative management, how, how far can we really uh, push these individuals? Like, can we do dynamic rehabilitation or do we need to take it slow? Um, and I think that this is important because it shows that we can be a little bit more aggressive in terms of allowing them to weight bear um, and still getting them to a point that's safe and is uh, uh, equivalent to um, uh, surgical management, which is important. Yeah, I agree. And I also thought it was, uh, you know, looking at this paper, I thought it was interesting that, you know, early weight bearing was associated with that, you know, increased quality of life. So uh, I guess just another thing to consider when you're trying to come up with a treatment algorithm for how you're treating these patients. But yeah, just like you said, there's a lot of high level, high quality studies for uh, these Achilles tendon ruptures and in a, a treatment, especially operative versus non-operative. But yeah, I thought this was a good study, good overview. Definitely. And I think that one of the things maybe we can talk about at the end, because I'm always interested just since we kind of have the uh, insider scoop on this, but I mean, as we go through these papers, just maybe thinking in our heads, what we would do, uh, you know, if there was a family member or if there, or if it was us and kind of take into consideration your own activity levels. Um, so I don't know, maybe keep this one in the back of your minds and we'll keep Wendell's as well. I just want to see what you guys would do or what you guys would recommend, but yeah, good study. I still think it's like absolutely crazy that, you know, this is like such a, you know, huge uh, discussion is, you know, operative versus non-operative management of these acute, you know, tendon tears, you know, coming into residency and even like as a medical student, you wouldn't think like, oh, you can treat an acute, you know, Achilles tendon rupture and you hear about Kobe Bryant and other like athletes and you they'd be like, oh yeah, they can be treated non-operatively with, you know, very similar functional outcomes compared to an operative group. I, I, it's still pretty, I don't know, it's wild. To say the least. Yeah, I probably should have looked at it, looked this up beforehand to see if there's any difference or papers out there looking at in particular like high functioning professional athletes with you know operative versus non-operative treatment and you know return to sport and if they return to the same level of sport and kind of what it is. I'm sure there's stuff out there, but I should have looked at it beforehand. I mean, do you have maybe just anecdotally, maybe just talking to your foot and ankle attendings, do you guys have any like experiences? Because I know I've talked to um, our program director is a foot and ankle surgeon, and I've talked to him a little bit, but just also talked to some of the senior residents. And I think that, you know, with these high level athletes, it does seem like maybe operative management is a little bit more on the table. Um, and again, that's, that's totally anecdotal and, you know, it's not really based on looking at their case logs or anything, but kind of just what I gather. So I don't know. I mean, it, I, I don't know if there are any, you know, studies looking at that. I'm sure there are, but maybe there'd be something interesting to look at as well. Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the things, like you were saying, for these high-level athletes, I think most people, not most, I'm not sure, but I would think that you're leaning more towards operative. You know, generally these are young or healthy patients um, that you're treating. So you're 
theoretical chance for you know getting these infections is just a little bit lower because you have a kind of better uh host uh you know kind of host tissue and you know better diet and uh they're young and healthy and you get a little bit of a a little bit of increased strength with uh with operative treatment per different studies so yeah i mean interesting yeah well going off that it's kind of this next paper which i'll be going over kind of takes that into the strength you know aspect into account so let's uh Moving on, so this next paper we got, it's a perspective randomized trial comparing surgical and non-surgical treatments of acute Achilles tendon ruptures. This was out of the uh, um, American Journal of Sports Medicine in 2016 uh, from a group out in Finland. So kind of what we've already discussed, you know, optimal treatment for these acute Achilles tendon ruptures um, for active patients has been under debate for some time in the literature now. Um, you know, non-operative treatment has as we've already discussed, some promising results. Um, and this paper was a, a level one randomized control trial. So very another, you know, high level uh, study. So the main purpose of this paper was to compare the clinical outcomes and the calf muscle strength uh, recovery after non-surgical treatment with an accelerated rehab protocol and uh, compare that with operative management of, with an open repair of these acute Achilles tendon ruptures that also had the identical uh, accelerated rehab protocol post-operatively. So this was a level one randomized control trial from one single hospital um, in Finland uh, from 2009, 2013. They had a sample size of 60. Um, their inclusion criteria is actually pretty small. So any acute Achilles ruptures, uh, anywhere from age 18 to 65, that was um, treated within one week of the date of injury. So anything over seven days was actually excluded from this study. So just kind of going over the uh, the non-surgical protocol, um, since this is probably one of the most, you know, variable aspects of um, these studies for acute Keeley's uh, tendon rupture. So in this paper, their protocol, um, they had, uh, first they started off non-weight bearing for one week and a maximal plantar flex cast. After one week that was removed and they transitioned to this dynamic orthosis that allowed variable degrees of plantar flexion. So in the first, from weeks two to three, they had 30 degrees. Um, and then transition to uh, 15 degrees and then free range motion from neutral to third degrees of plantar flexion in weeks six and seven. At that point, um, they were able to transition out of the orthosis and they had a one centimeter heel left in the shoe for one month. And then they began um, a little more active activity with jogging at three months. And then if they were any in any sport that involved jumping or acceleration, they were able to return at six months. There was actually no formal physical therapy uh, they had this home-based program that began after week seven. So once they were out of the orthosis, and that's kind of seen here on the right, um, that was kind of based off of from week eight to, to one year and very simple at-home exercises, um, which is pretty interesting. Just, you know, there's no formal therapy and uh, these uh, patients were allowed to, you know, progress on their own at home. And then this protocol is also the exact same for the surgical group postoperatively. So they looked at the primary outcome was this Lepelhati score that was measured at 18 months. So just a little background information about this scoring system. It takes into account both subjective and obje objective factors. Subjectively, they looked at pain, stiffness, um, functionality, and then the objective score um, that was of importance of this study was this isokinetic calf muscle strength. Um, so they, they measured that in plantar flexion and dorsal flexion um, 
they measured the peak torque at both of those at three different speeds. And then secondary outcome were these um, calf muscle strength measurements at three, six, and 18 months. And then this ran 36 uh, scoring system that kind of just looked at the health related quality of life overall. So the results from this study, this La Pilates score at 18 months um, showed that there was a score of 100 being the best of this 79.5 average versus 75.7 uh, for the non-op and surgical groups respectively. Uh, what wasn't statistically significant, but showed us slightly higher uh, scoring for the um, for the non-op group. Um, and then for the, like I discussed earlier, these subjective um, aspects of this scoring system, uh, the both surgical and non-surgical groups did not differ at all in any of these. Looking at the isokinetic uh, calf muscle strength that was measured at different intervals. So at three months, they both non-op and operatively experienced a similar amount of torque. Um, at six months, the surgery group uh, had an increase in strength from anywhere from 16 to 24% compared to the um, non-operative group. At 18 months, it was slightly less, but still an increase. That was still significant. That was at 10 to 18. And overall, the mean torque that was produced in the surgical groups was 110 newtons versus 96 and a half newtons. And so, you know, all these values were statistically significant. Um, then looking at this RAN36 score, this scoring system, it, it showed better results for surgically treated patients only in this, uh, the domain of physical functioning after injury and then uh, bodily pain. Um, they also looked into the rate of re-rupture. Uh, it wasn't statistically significant comparing the two groups, but there was um, four in the non-surgical group and 1% in the surgical group. And they, um, later in the paper, they discussed that the uh, main reason for this re-rupture was non-compliance with their um, accelerated rehab protocol for the non-operative group. <clears throat> so overall, this study supported uh, previous data that we've already gone, uh, gone over, demonstrating that there's very similar outcomes in surgical and conservative management of these acute Achilles tendon ruptures. Uh, surgery does lead to a faster and better recovery from a uh, calf strength perspective. Um, however, both surgical and non-operative uh, method is uh, failed to restore uh, muscle strength compared to the contralateral side. So I guess you could say their baseline strength prior to their injury. Um, age did not have any effect on clinical scores, um, which is interesting. You you would think that a you know, younger, healthier, uh, maybe um, athlete or weekend warrior would have um, slightly better or quicker um, outcomes returned to baseline compared to the older patient. But this study did not show any effect. And um, overall, the surgery may result in better quality of life than non-surgical management. Um, there were a few limitations to this paper. Uh, the clinical observers that were measuring this calf strength were not blinded to what group uh, the patients were in, whether they were operative or non-operative. And then um, obviously uh, compliance with these rehab protocols is an issue. And so there was an inability to monitor um, compliance with these protocols. Yeah, you know, uh, interesting study. And, you know, one of the big things that you even mentioned uh, when comparing this to the other studies is the other ones were like a, a rehab protocol where I assume they were with like, you know, uh, therapists or something of that sort. But this one was at at, a, at home uh, protocol. And, you know, they still do still do pretty well uh, from what the what the data shows. Um, and again, like you said, you know, surgery may get a little bit of better quality of life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was a, a good study and just yet some more data that shows that, you know, you can 
you can treat these patients non-operatively and they do pretty well. Um, but yeah, it make, makes you wonder, just like, yeah, I was saying a little bit earlier, if, if you had this injury, if you would, uh, if you'd get it done or if you go non-operatively, so I guess maybe at the end of everything, we can, we can go around the, the group and see who would do what, but a uh, good, good overview. Yeah. I, well, so yeah, we can talk about that. I was, I actually had a partial, it's not a full rupture. I had a partial tear. I was a college track athlete and I had a, a partial tear in one of my races, but we can kind of touch base on uh, my, my rehab stuff and yeah, my opinions, but yeah. Um, did anyone have anything else? All right, let's go on to the next paper. Tyler. All right. So, you know, following up with that, uh, still looking at the operative versus non-operative treatment of these acute Achilles tendon ruptures, but this one paper really focused more on the economic side and is a pilot study of an economic decision analysis. We can go to the background um, of this and, um, you know, optimal treatment for acute Achilles tendon rupture is still debated. There's the open surgical repair versus non-operative treatment. And, um, non-operative treatment, as we've talked about, has shown similar re-rupture rates, similar functional recovery when incorporating accelerated functional rehabilitation. And it allows for earlier weight bearing and more aggressive progression in ankle ranges of motion. But few studies examine the cost effectiveness of surgical treatment versus non-operative treatment. And so some background on the angle that this study took um, is on how to evaluate cost effectiveness. They utilize this decision tree analysis. And um, what this does is it looks at variables like outcomes of utility costs and the probabilities of different outcomes in each treatment arm. So if you look on the right and if you're listening on the podcast, um, it's this decision tree. So it starts as like the trunk is basically the event of the acute Achilles tendon rupture. Then it branches to the two different treatment options of the open repair versus non-operative treatment. And then those further branch out to the different outcomes of uh, complications, re-rupture, or patient satisfaction and well-being. Then the second um, analysis that they did was a utility value analysis, which is basically the proxy for how effective the surgery was, and then also a further examination of how cost-effective each treatment option was. So on to the next um, aspect, looking at the methods, this economic decision analysis um, was done with a multi-way sensitivity analysis. And then they did a utility values from previously studied um, and published decision analysis. And that served as kind of a patient reported outcomes. And then these outcome um, probabilities were from a previous level one uh, systematic review. And just to kind of go back and really flesh out what these different uh, outcomes were. So there's the well-being. Um, which is kind of a, how, how much the patients liked or appreciated their outcomes. There was the re-rupture rates, and then there was the major complications, which were uh, PEs, DVTs, or deep infections. They had moderate complications, which were uh, classified as superficial infections or wound dehiscence that didn't need repair. And then the minor complications being uh, skin adhesions, uh, or non-cosmetic scarring. 
And then each major event or outcome was analyzed across three key variables. They did some fancy math, as you can see on the right, but we'll skip over that to just the working definitions. There was the probability, uh, which was the occurrence of a terminal event, like a complication, after either the operative treatment or the non-operative treatment. There was utility, which was a range score from zero to 10 of the subjective outcome measurement uh, from the patient's perspective, and basically how happy they were with their treatment and the outcomes. And then there was the direct cost, which was measured in US dollars and the cost of each treatment arm from the payer's perspective. So the main findings uh, of this study, we can look at this uh, decision tree here. And if you'd advance to slide one, uh, we can see the ultimate utility of the open repair. Uh, and you can compare that versus the non-operative. And the ultimate utility of the open repair was 6.3 versus the ultimate utility of the non-op, which was uh, six. And then you can compare the costs as well. And you can see the open repair was uh, around $12,000 and ranged from 7,000 to almost $17,000 compared to the non-operative repair, which averaged about $3,000, ranging from about $1,000 to $4,000. So quite a significant uh, change in um, costs. And the average cost to gain one unit of utility for the open repair arm was three times more costly than the non-operative arm. And then when you further go down the tree and compare the different um, re-rupture rates and well-being, um, so actually the open repair had lower um, satisfaction and well-being rates compared to the non-operative. However, uh, non-operative had a significantly higher amount of re-rupture rates. And then, so they did a further analysis of the cost effectiveness and also the cost utility ratio um, so this is presenting a table or a graph that shows on the top, the operative cost range versus on the bottom, the non-operative cost range. And looking at the extreme lows of the operative and the extreme high costs of the non-operative, um, there are scenarios where the operative costs were more cost effective than the non-operative treatment. Um, that is when the lowest range of the operative costs was about $789 compared to the highest cost of non-operative, um, which was $2,079. And there was another further analysis that uh, compared the cost utility of operative treatment as opposed to non-operative treatment. So in this graph here, we're showing the blue line um, shows the cost of each patient having a well-being score of six. Uh, the orange line shows a well-being score of 7.9, and the green line shows a well-being score of 9.8. And the takeaway is that operative treatment becomes more cost-effective as the utility of well-being exceeds what non-op treatment and the risk of having higher re-rupture rates can lead to. So in a Maybe an easier way to think about that is a real world setting that this would look like a young athlete who needs to get to a high level of activity sooner with minimal risk of re-ruptures. And this is when operative treatment is more cost-effective and has a higher utility rate. 
So in summary, um, you know, this study showed some pretty interesting things, you know, operative treatment has a higher cost per utility gained, but also had a higher utility value in cases when there was no complications. Um, so there were higher, uh, you know, things like superficial or deep infections. Um, but when those didn't occur, you gained a little more utility. Uh, the operative treatment became more cost-effective as the well-being increased. And so, for example, high demand patients like athletes might prefer the highest possible functional outcomes, um, and they want that as early as possible. And then finally, non-operative treatment was more cost-effective on average. Yeah, uh, interesting, you know, interesting study. They did some statistics that's way, way above my head, um, but you know, I think again, you know, interesting discussion point. And I, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, obviously if you have, you know, no complications, it's going to cost less <laughs> versus if you have complications. Um, but yeah, I think it's also good to know, um, especially, you know, you, you got to evaluate the whole patient and everything that, has, that they have going on, including their economic factors and especially where I am. And, you know, depending on every patient's uh, situation, uh, some people may not be able to afford surgery. Surgery costs money too, you know? Um, and so, you know, looking at the cost effectiveness versus operative versus non-op and um, just like you were just saying for these high demand athletes, um, you know, it may be, it may be more cost effective to uh, treat them operatively. Um, but yeah, I thought, you know, interesting study. I agree. I mean, this is uh, the statistical analysis is really cool. I think it's an awesome study. Um, it, takes the non-operative versus operative idea and uh, incorporates like new variables that are definitely different than what everything else you see in the literature. Um, and I think it's cool, like looking at what's quote unquote cost effective um, and also putting it in, into context of like utility and like well-being, and um, kind of like the sentence that you say that you put there, Tyler, in terms of um, like a high demand patient who needs to get back to um, a certain activity level and time is an important factor for them. Um, like that is an important consideration. And I think that this is a cool article to show that, um, but definitely agree with Wendell as well. I mean, there are different factors to consider in looking at the patient and their ability to pay or um, especially like insurance and like what that looks like. Um, those are all super important factors to consider. So overall, a really cool study. Um, maybe like Wendell said, doesn't really this, the results might not be super surprising, um, but it's a very unique way to present it and offers a different spin on it. Yeah. And that's like, you know, the main reason why I, when I read this paper and decided to use it, um, just kind of given like my experience with talking with patients in clinic with one of our foot and ankle guys and with these uh, Achilles rupture tears. Now, albeit there were more older uh, people probably not, you know, the, the healthiest, um, patient population, but it definitely wasn't like a younger high-end athlete and just having that discussion of, um, non-operative management there, you know, they were really taken aback and I've actually had multiple discussions with patients and they've mentioned, you know, in some form or fashion, uh, you know, how they're saving money. So, and I just thought it was really interesting because that's something that, you know, we can easily, overlook when we're, you know, looking at these different uh, articles and, you know, discussing operative and non-operative management, but it's like, okay, what it being in the patient shoes, like, okay, 
do I need this one? And if I do, how am I going to pay for it? Or can I get away with not having to do it and, you know, have similar outcomes and you're saving thousands of dollars. So I thought it was really interesting. All right, um, Tarek here. And so just kind of going back to basic research to finish things up. Um, this is a systematic review of RCTs on op versus non-op management of an acute Achilles tendon rupture. This is a 2012 article um, coming out of Buffalo, New York from Wilkins and Bisson. And so just some background, as we've talked about earlier, um, we're looking at acute Achilles tendon rupture. These are usually associated with sporting events. Um, people either have sudden dorsiflexion of an already plantar flex foot or suddenly forced plantar flexion. Um, the decision-making and optimal management behind Achilles tendon ruptures are sort of still controversial. Um, this is about 10 years ago still. So um, deciding whether or not to operate, don't operate, what type of rehab protocol was sort of still up in the air. And so um, they decided to make this systematic review because there's a lot of level three and level four evidence that was suggesting that non-operative treatment um, had a greater incidence, a statistically significant greater incidence of re-rupture. Um, and the level one studies, uh, like Wendell talked about earlier, um, didn't have a significant difference for re-rupture rate. Um, and so they, they looked at all the RCTs that compared this op versus non-op approach. Primarily, they wanted to look at the rate of re-ruptures. And secondarily, they looked at strength, uh, like Tucker's article, uh, return to work time, and other complications like deep infections, serial nerve, sensory disturbances, scar complaints, and DVTs. And so um, they searched and identified all these prospective RCTs. Uh, they only did English studies. They excluded any studies that didn't have re-rupture rates or that they found were inappropriate, inappropriately randomized. They used something called the Coleman methodology score to evaluate the articles um, and just see how well performed the data was, or the research was actually done um, and the data was collected. And then they used a log odds ratio just because it seemed to distribute more appropriately compared to the uh, normal odds ratio. And so in terms of results, they, they found about 1,100 unique articles. Um, they went through about 100 abstracts, 44 full texts, and landed on about seven articles, one of which was uh, Wendell's article that he talked about at the beginning, um, and about 700 patients total. The Coleman scores, for the most part, were pretty high. Uh, the closer you are to 100, the closer you are to a perfect um, research article. And so in, in regards to their primary outcome, the re-rupture, uh, they found that in the pooled data collection, 3.6% uh, had a re-rupture, uh, which is 15 out of 330, versus in non-operative patients, 8.8% of the patients had a re-rupture. Um, and so you can see on this figure, if you're watching the video, most of the articles alone um, kind of go over the line. They favor both surgical and non-surgical. Um, Six out of seven of them lean towards surgical, uh, favoring for re-ruptures or for decreased re-rupture. 
um, about two or just only one article significantly says, you know, re-ruptures are less in surgical approach, um, whereas the rest cross that border in between and don't really have that significant data. And so looking at secondary outcomes, um, in terms of return to work, even in the pooled data, they didn't find a significant statistical difference. Um, only four out of the seven studies that they looked at had a significant difference that they reported, um, which was 7.453 days. But when they pulled it all together, um, the confidence interval crossed one. And so they determined it to be non-significant. Um, perhaps within each clinical anecdote, they, there's some significance there um, for maybe more highly functioning athletes like we talked about earlier. Uh, in regards to deep infections, five out of seven studies looked at it. And, you know, it makes sense. A lot of these secondary outcomes are things that you would consider more surgical complications. And so 2.36% of operative patients had a deep infection, 0% of the non-operative patients developed a deep surgical infection. Um, similarly, with serial nerve disturbances, five out of seven studies looked at it and significantly more had issues in the operative um, group, 8.76% versus 0.78. Um, scar complaints was the same thing as well as, um, actually, yeah, just scar complaints. So scar complaints were 13.1% and 0.62% um, in the non-operative group. DVTs were a little bit interesting. Four out of seven studies looked at them, and there's actually no statistically significant data to take from the pooled set. 7% um, of the operative group developed a DVT, 10% of the non-operative group developed DVTs, and the p-value was 0.17. Um, and so they, they couldn't really figure out whether or not this was you know, due to other patient risk factors in the groups or if it was really just not significant in this uh, Achilles tendon rupture setting. Um, initially, they wanted to evaluate strength um, like Tucker's study did, but they found that the um, variability between the studies and how they measured the strength and the timing of it was impossible to compare. Um, so they just had to get rid of it. And so, um, Sort of summarizing what we all just what we just discussed is if the primary concern is re-rupture, they're suggesting that surgeons look at operative approaches instead um, for patients. There's less re-rupture rates in a pool data of you know level one evidence from these randomized control trials, and they suggest that you know perhaps extrinsic healing through a surgical uh, reconnection strengthens the tendons more so biomechanically versus the intrinsic healing um, that tendons can do when you just have rehab protocols. Um, if your concern is more so that, you know, your patients are going to have this infection risk or they're not going to like the cosmetic um, scar that occurs with surgery or um, perhaps a sural nerve defect, non-operative treatment might be a better way to go just because the risk of having surgical complications without surgery is pretty low. Um, and then in regards to strength, they, they suggested something interesting that touches on Tucker's article quite a bit. Um, most of the studies that they found 
looked at isokinetic strength like Tucker's and they actually suggested in their discussion that this was sort of an inappropriate way to test the gastroxoleus complex in the Achilles tendon and, and instead should be testing a eccentric and concentric loading of the muscle for strength and integrity, um, saying that this is more so how it's used in day to day and this would better demonstrate functional return um, and qualitative uh, effects of treatment. Um, so all in all, it sort of gives a good summary of, you know, the pros and cons of operative and non-operative. It's still a bit muddied water as to which one's best for which cases, since um, it takes about a pool of 700 patients to really find any statistical significance uh, between these complications. Um, but I think a great article that sort of highlights really high level evidence. Yeah, I think um, just going back to the very beginning, you know, we've kind of demonstrated some good points today. Um, the purpose for the systematic review is really important. I think sometimes when I look through systematic reviews for um, specific interventions um, that maybe may not be as controversial, I sometimes wonder like what the purpose of the systematic review is. Like, why are we pooling all this data? Like, are we trying to answer something that maybe we don't know the answer to, or are we just trying to see if significance holds up in larger sample sizes? I think for this, uh, it's important because like you said, I mean, you have level three and level four evidence that is suggesting one outcome. Um, but then once you look at level one studies, you don't see any significant difference. So I think that that built up the purpose really well and like the impetus for the study. And um, it's important to consider, I think in orthopedic research in general, because a lot of what we have, unfortunately, is lower level evidence, just because these randomized control trials are hard to do. Um, so definitely an important impetus. And, and like you said, I mean, demonstrates um, an important um, significance that you see once you start pooling large amounts of data. I guess the, the million dollar question at, at this time is, so who, who is getting their Achilles tendon uh, fixed or who is getting, uh, who's going non-op treatment? I mean, uh, even though I'm a high level athlete, I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still think, even though I still manage to, you know, play basketball and, and I consider myself pretty active, um, I would definitely go, if I could go the non-operative route, I mean, I think well past my prime and there's a lot of good evidence suggesting that I can, uh, you know, the rehabilitation process is one that works in the non-operative setting, uh, especially if you're incorporating, um, more dynamic rehabilitation and you are going through the weight bearing process in this accelerated protocol. So for me, I'm, I'm sticking with a non-operative regimen. Yeah, that's yes. one of the things I was looking at. No, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I was, I, I completely agree. And uh, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I didn't have a complete rupture back in my, back when I peaked in college. I, uh, I had like a partial tear and I had, and, you know, just because of the resources I had, I had like this pretty aggressive um, rehab, like protocol with like formal therapy, physical therapy and everything. And, you know, I was back racing in, three months, which was oh, wow. pretty, pretty crazy. And, 
you know, being a, a young, you know, college guy and you're hearing like, oh, you partially tore your Achilles, you're thinking, oh, well, that's kind of, it sounded a lot worse than what it actually ended up being. And even though it's not a complete, a complete rupture, like what we're talking about, it, I think it just, it shows, you know, how non-operative management, how beneficial it, it, it can be. Um, but I think like the overarching theme is just, it, it, it plays more to patient specific factors. Did they yeah. have you in a boot? They had you in a boot and they did. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was like in a camp boot for, um, gosh, I can't remember how long, but I was, <laughs> I started because this was, I mean, this was 10 years ago. Um, but I, I mean, I was in pretty aggressive therapy early on. Um, not a lot of strength or resistance training early on, but by a month I was doing like plyometric type exercises. Oh, wow. Relatively pain-free. Uh, I had more so stiffness. And then just a big thing was just like the psychological aspect of getting back into like your competitive sport after, you know, that type of injury. And just imagine that, you know, tenfold, if it's like a complete rupture, you know, um, that's kind of like another factor, but no, yeah, yeah, the psychological part is, is definitely real. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, there's yeah. studies with, with that in regards to, you know, like ligaments, like ACL, you know, injuries and return to play. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's, you know, very similar for, for these injuries as well. Yeah. Yeah. I know even just when I tore my ACL, I had it reconstructed. I, I kind of went through that psychological, uh, you know, thing you're worried about re-tearing it, you know? Uh, so that's definitely uh, something real. And I'm sure the same thing, very similar with patients that have Achilles tendon ruptures. And uh, if you were to ask me today, I, I probably would go non-op as well, unless I was, you know, like, starting running back for the Texans or something that I'd probably go operative, you know, I'd probably want it fixed, but uh, my level of, uh, of activity, I'd probably go non-op. What about, uh, Tariq, any, anything, what about you? You know, I, I think prior to today, I definitely would have said, you know, put me under, uh, I want to <laughs> come out on top, but I don't know, just looking at the potential risks and complications, I just and the fact that I get to save like ten thousand um, dollars. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, I I'll definitely go with non-op. Yeah, it just I don't know. I'm not I'm not athletic enough to require surgery. I think is what it comes down to. I think like one thing to like take take into account is the early accelerated rehab. Oh yeah. So you're, you're yeah. getting, you're getting this, this formal rehabilitation, you know, within one to two weeks of your injury. So you're not getting these chronic ruptured, retracted, uh, you know, patients that are probably scarred down, have gapped substantially from their acute injury. And that's a, that's an entirely different patient population yeah. that you're dealing with. Yeah. Good point. Definitely. And, and Tyler, what are you, what are you doing? Man, I might be the uh, minority here, but, you know, even though my fixed. days of being a high-performance <laughs> athlete are behind me, I'm, I'm going to get it fixed. I like it. <laughs> I want good. that, uh, you know, peace of mind that I want to be a weekend warrior with a yeah. little less chance of it popping again on me. It's very true. 
Well, fellas, I think this was a, a good discussion on uh, Achilles tendon uh, ruptures, at least acute Achilles tendon ruptures. We talked over a good amount of articles, some randomized control trials, some reviews, cost, you know, economic analyses. So um, I thought it was, you know, good episode. Um, again, enjoying uh, speaking with y'all and, and talking about some, some good sports topics. I'm uh, interested to see what the next one uh, will be. For those that are listening, we, we thank you for listening yet again. Uh, we hope you hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. That will let us know a bunch how you like this. And you can also let us know. You can also let us know if there are any other uh, topics that you would like covered. Um, but until next time, we can we can call it a day, and we'll see y'all in the next uh, sports citation classics.